Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? Welcome to the show, what the fucking ears, what the fuck buddies, whatever you want to call yourselves. Welcome. I'm happy you're here. I'm still in Washington, D.C. Well, actually, not really. I'm sort of across the river in Alexandria at a hotel, a sweets hotel, a sweet hotel, whatever you want to call it. It's one of them hotels where people live for a while when they're in between things, trying to figure things out, working for someplace for a few weeks, trying to disappear. I'm just here for a couple of days. It's not so bad. They had free meatloaf downstairs with mashed potatoes. Uh, and I was surprised at how many people were down there for the free bad dinner. They should just publicize it like that when you check into these places. Oh, and by the way, we have a free bad breakfast and a free really shitty dinner if you want. People, the place was packed down there. You'd think it was uh, the, the best food around. And there seems to be a whole community of people in transit, of people that live like this. I don't want to go into it. I do want to say thank you to everybody who showed up at the Black Cat last night. We had a great time. We had a great show. It was a nice turnout. A lot of what the fuckers came up. A lot of people got some free stickers, bought some CDs, threw me some bread, a little weird taking donations right there on the fly, but I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna turn them down. It was very sweet. Saw a lot of old friends. Had an old fan of mine come. He gave me an issue of National Lampoon Comics. It was a special magazine they put out of all the comics they used to have in National Lampoon, which sort of ties into today's episode because later in the show I'm gonna have Bob Fingerman on, whose uh, most recent book from the ashes is a great graphic novel. I think he would call it that. Uh, and uh, the return of El Chupacabra is today's show. So uh, hang in there. I did a fairly lengthy interview with El Chupacabra. That said, the trip to uh, D.C. has been somewhat eventful, but not really eventful, subtly eventful. I, when I come here, I always want to do something. And I'm sort of out here off the beaten track. I'm in Alexandria. Is that what it's called, Alexandria? Who am I asking? There's nobody here. Am I asking me? Like, is there another me that knows the correct answer to all these things? I could, yes, I believe it's Alexandria. And I wanted to today, I'll just tell you, let's just go through the day and see if we can do that. I decided I would get up and go into D.C. to, uh, to yeah, I was, had a meeting with a fellow from National Geographic Television. That's where I'm going to end up. I'm going to do an animal show. I don't know what, I, I didn't know what he wanted. He's a fan and I was happy to see him. His name's Bill. He wanted to talk to me about some stuff, uh, how I would fit into the uh, Nat Geo world. But that being said, I had to go in to meet him for lunch, so I figured I'd get a couple other things done. Maybe I'd take a look at the White House and go to the mall and not the, you know, the Grand Mall, the Great Mall, whatever they call it, the, you know, the, the space between the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Monument, and the Capitol, the center of this American uh, power structure on a political level. I always like to go there, but I had to get there, so I took the Metro. And something happened on the Metro that I really never thought would happen. I, uh, I actually witnessed a, a type of person that I just don't get to witness much. I see fragments of them on television. I, I've heard myths about them. I assumed they were out there, but I never really got to witness it. And sitting across from me on the Metro were these three women, two of them in, probably in their 50s, one in their 80s, maybe 70s or 80s, and these two men. Uh, the older woman had this weird, almost you know, wild gray hair, and the other two... Uh, they they just looked like you know very out of shape American women, but they were talking, 
And one woman, I, I sat down during the middle of a conversation where was one of the women, the, the more talkative one. And, and now let me just explain that. She was sitting with the, the seat facing away from the direction we were going. You know how some trains have uh, seats going in both directions? I, I don't know why I'm telling you that, but it, I think it'll play into it. So I, I'm listening to her talk, and she's, got, she's kneeling uh, on the chairs because the back is facing the other woman so she can talk to her in a childlike way. And she's saying, you know, I, I'm not going to stay here. I'll probably go to Australia or Canada. I mean, I'm not going to stay here. Now, these were people obviously from out of town. They were obviously Southern. They were obviously, I don't want to call them rubes or hicks or hillbillies. But you know, my immediate impression was they were fucking idiots. Uh, and, and not because of that, because they sounded like idiots and the way they were talking were like idiots. But then I started to realize it was almost childlike. And I had this weird, almost empathetic reaction to them. I'm like, this is what I'm thinking to myself, just listening to them and how they're talking. Like, these are what uneducated people sound like. These are people that, that really, you know, they believe that they're, they're, they're smart, but they're, they're, they're morons. But it's childlike. I mean, because every she's sitting there talking about how horrible America is. Like, I'm, I'm getting out of here. And the other one's going, well, Canada might be pretty good. We can go to Canada. And then the the childlike one said, uh, they got everybody's got health care in Canada. So then I thought, like, well, maybe they are on the, you know, maybe they're a little more progressive than I thought. Maybe they're. And then it just kept going. And then and then all of a sudden, the the one woman, like the the childlike woman, the the simple minded one looks out the window because we're above ground and there's an airplane in the air. And she goes, oh, Bob, Bob, take a picture of the big airplane. Look at the big airplane. Get the picture. Get the picture. And this guy's taking pictures of an airplane in the air. I'm like, are we seven? And then they're taking pictures of everything. They're on their way, as I gleaned from their conversation, and they're going to see the White House. So I can't, I'm, I'm, I can't stop listening to them. And then what happens is they're taking pictures of bank buildings in, in, in Virginia. They, I mean, don't even care. They're just so excited. And the woman's like, I've never been on a train. I'm facing the wrong direction. Am I going backwards? And I'm like, oh, my God, should I get her a lollipop? And then it got kind of interesting because we stop at the Pentagon and a bunch of people get on at the Pentagon. And this woman's talking too loud, almost alcoholically loud. And I'm not saying that as a judgment. I just there was moments where I'm like, is she drunk? And they get on and she's talking as if there's an audience listening to her, you know, like an eight year old would do. I keep I know I'm making her older as it goes on. And she says, after a bunch of people get on at the Pentagon stop, do all these people work at the Pentagon? And she's looking for someone to pay attention to her. And the guy sitting next to me uh, who sat down next to me, he's got State Department uh, laminates on credentials. And he sort of smiles and she's like, you work at the Pentagon. Will you give President Obama a message for me? And he says, I'm assuming it's not a positive message. And she's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. And then one of the other women sort of shuts her up. And he sits there kind of smiling at me and in that knowing way where you, you both realize you're in the presence of fucking morons. And, and then what happens is he gets up to get off two stops down. And she says again, she goes, Mr. We, we, from the Pentagon, will you send President Obama a message from me? And this guy, as he's walking out, turns around and says, well, you know, he's our president and we defend him just like we defended Bush. And he walks off the train. It was pretty, a pretty stunning little moment. And she goes, he's not my president. This is after he leaves. He's not, he's not my president. He's y'all's president, but he's not my president. 
He is not my president. And then he turns, she turns to the other one and goes, he doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about us at all. None of them do. They just care about the banks. And I'm like, oh my God, is, is somebody writing this? And, and then it just sort of keep, continues to unfold. And she looks at her friend and goes, you know what? And this is in a hush tone. She says, I bet you that guy who was just on here has got a 666 in the, under the skin of his forehead. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's real. It's real. And then she goes, but don't get me going on about politics. And I'm like, is that what we're going on about? Is that what we're talking about? Really? Somehow in the political discourse you have, the possibility that a State Department uh, uh, official might have a 666 on his skull, beneath the skin, on his forehead, is part of your political discussion? Holy shit. I could not believe that those polls were true. I saw the poll that 25% or so believe that Obama is the Antichrist. I mean, at least he's a socialist. He's a communist. He wasn't born in that country. That is grounded in some sort of paranoia, but it seems like it's tangibly real to these people even though they're misinformed completely and they believe what they want to believe. But the fact that someone is sitting across from me believing that not only is he the Antichrist, but clearly the people in the Pentagon are all marked with the sign of the beast. I mean, I know that conspiracy. Yeah, I, I've maybe entertained it in one of my more coked up states. But, but that is her political discourse. It was just baffling. I really wanted to turn the mics on when I was sitting there, but I, I just didn't know how to do it. So I wanted to go to uh, the Holocaust Museum. So I'm at lunch with my National Geographic buddy, Bill, and I asked him where it is. And he says he's not, he, said, he thinks he knows where it is. But then I looked at the map and he was wrong. And he said he'd lived there for four years and he'd never been there. And he's a Jew. And I really felt as though he was a Holocaust Museum denier. And as a Jew, you shouldn't be a Holocaust Museum denier. The reason I wanted to go to the Holocaust Museum is that I drove by it with my friend Maria, uh, yesterday, and there was a big poster in front that said, State of Deception, the Power of Nazi Propaganda, Special Exhibition. So the Holocaust Museum's propaganda for their exhibition about Nazi propaganda sucked me right in. Is there an irony in that? There must be. So I make my way across the, the Great Mall, uh, past the Washington Monument. I walk past the White House, and I'm going to the Holocaust Museum, and I, I get to the Holocaust Museum. I, didn't, I haven't done the whole museum in a long time because it's a little heavy. It's a lot to take in, but I, I wanted to focus on the propaganda exhibit. It was very interesting, a lot of pictures. They had a lot of the uh, artifacts from that time. Uh, I don't want to call them relics. They're not ancient. They had Nazi signs. They had the, the Jew, uh, the yellow Jew sew-on patch of the star. And, and uh, I got the flyer here. I got the flyer here. And you know what was interesting about it is, is that part of the agenda was that the state knew what they could do. They knew they were going to do whatever the hell they wanted to do. They were going to kill the Jews. They were going to take over Europe. But really what it was about was fostering a climate of indifference in the regular German population, fostering a climate of indifference. That struck me as very interesting. I, it, it is apathetic, but there's something about the repetition of, of any kind of propaganda that it doesn't just cause apathy. It causes you to detach from the humanity that you have in your soul to care about other people because of some hypnosis that has been put upon you. In the flyer, it says, or the, the brochure here, is propaganda what you think it is. It has common traits, and here they are. Uses truths, half-truths, or lies. Omits information selectively. Simplifies complex issues or ideas. Plays on emotions. Advertises a cause. Attacks opponents. Targets desired audiences. 
And I realized that I may have just as well been looking at the, the description of the Glenn Beck show in TV Guide. And I also realized that the power of propaganda is so, so much with us on so many levels. You know, I was sitting across from a woman that believed our president was the Antichrist, believed he was the Antichrist. And there were people standing out in front of the White House two days ago, you know, with kill the bill, socialism, communism. It's the end of our country, totalitarianism. Uh, he's like Hitler. These are the effects of propaganda. And there's no doubt about that in my mind. So I get out of the museum and I go to back to the mall. I go back to the great mall and I start reflecting on, on how I felt, how I was becoming angrily indifferent to our administration, how I began to think that there was no political solution to any of our problems and that all politicians were just, were just parasites and whores and, and opportunists and that democracy was just a tired old hooker that would let you know, any corporate entity fuck it in its ass and run any sort of money that came through it, through it. Just a tired old, you know, like dock whore is what democracy had become. Yet when you stand out on the Great Mall and I'm standing out there on the day that Barack Obama signed the legislation, the new health care reform, signed it today. And I realized like I had become so cynical. I had become so cynical. And I was looking every time I come to DC, I never know why, but I'm overwhelmed and, and proud and, and I feel small and part of something much larger than me when I stand in front of the Lincoln Memorial or I stand in front of the Capitol or I look at the White House that I never quite understood what it was because I, I've always been cynical about what goes on in this town, but it represents something. It represents something that, that, that stands there despite the history, despite, you know, people that come and go, that democracy is built to sort of, you know, absorb and process the badness that occurs within this country on a political level. And there is really hope there. And then I, I had that feeling where it was like, today is a hopeful day. Today was the day where the insurance companies get fed part of their ass. Obviously, they're going to do okay. But now death panels have been somewhat put out of business. And when I say death panels, I mean the board of directors at insurance companies. Now, everybody must be covered and they cannot deny anybody coverage to, you know, based on anything. They have to cover them. That means that that the class-based, race-based, pre-existing, uh, illness-based triage that has kept people dying in this country at the behest of insurance companies protecting their bottom line is over. Now, I don't care where you stand on this issue or whether you think it's unconstitutional that everyone must have insurance, but I tell you one thing, the fact that everyone can get it and will have it despite anything, despite they don't have money, despite that they have had cancer, despite the fact that they may have smoked once in their life, is a profound thing. And I just hope that given the, the, the broad spectrum now of people that will be insured, that they really reach out and, and, and help people. I hope that mental health becomes better. I hope that in all of this insurance coverage, now that some of these morons and angry people that thought it was their constitutional right to, to not have insurance. So when they got sick, you know, someone else would have to pay the bill or they would just die out of pride will now be covered with an extensive mental health plan. And hopefully these delusional people that believe that Barack Obama is the antichrist or a, or a communist or, or a socialist or, or that we're going to be living in a totalitarian state that, that somehow they, maybe they'll get help for those delusions when they can at least just 
go to the doctor when they start coughing up blood as opposed to sitting at home saying, I ain't going to take a handout. This will go away. I want those people to live, but I also want them to, to try to fucking behave like sane fucking people. Let's move on because I don't want to get hung up on that. All right, so you wanted to give me notes on my book <laughs> 10 years after the fact. Did we have some sort of falling out? I don't even remember what that was about. I just remember I got irritated with you, and I can't remember why, and I don't remember. Oh, I do. <laughs> do, do we want to start with that? And then we can hug. I think that would be a nice It's not way to un- go. unusual for me to open a show by taking responsibility for a, a previous uh, uh, bad action. If it was my fault, let's see. Well, I th- no, well... Well, well, it might have been. It might have. What been. happened? Um, I hadn't seen you for a few months. Yeah. And the last I'd seen you, you were telling me you were trying to lose some weight. Oh, well, that could have been any time. Yeah. Well, okay. That could have been yesterday. That could have been yesterday. But yeah, okay. And um, your emails generally are fairly terse. Would that be a good way of putting it? Sometimes, yeah. And you sent me an email. Um, boy, this sounds like I came loaded with this. I, just, I promise I, I didn't. <laughs> I want you to unburden yourself. <laughs> I promise I didn't come with an agenda. I, um, I, I want you to unburden yourself. My guest, by the way, is Bob Fingerman, the oh, yeah. comic book artist whose uh, newest book, uh, From the Ashes, a speculative memoir, is a, a graphic novel that was just released by... Uh, now, who's your publisher? IDW. All right, we don't need to talk about that. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but the foreword is by a, a very, very brilliant comedian. Mark Marin wrote the foreword to From the Ashes. Yes, he's, for, a, ni- he's a nice young man. For, for Bob Fingerman, in an attempt to make an amends for whatever the <laughs> fuck he's about to say right now. <laughs> the past slights. Yeah, right. But, but to frame this, to frame this, because okay. everybody was a little more delicate. This was October 2001. And for some reason, everybody in New York, I think, was a little bit more pins and needles. Yeah, because that, month. The, that was the the month after the thing. The thing, yeah, the big thing, which which actually informs your speculative memoir to some to, degree. Yeah, to some degree. Yeah, I don't obsess about it, but uh, you don't but, obsess about that particular end of the world <laughs> scenario. But clearly, you do obsess about the end of things. It, it occupies some of my brain. Okay, real so it's October uh, two thousand and one. We're yeah. all severely damaged by PTSD. You know, New York is a zombie land of frightened people and bad smells yeah. and just complete shock and Yeah, horror. particularly the bad smells. Uh, even when you were kind of trying to make yourself feel okay, you'd get that whiff of-, of burning of... metal. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I didn't, you know, a lot of people would like to characterize it as, as something more morbid, but it just smelled to me like yeah, something- Yeah, it smelled industrial. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Like yeah. a toxic melting metal. Yeah, I, I kind of had this feeling that that's what it smelled like in East Germany. Right. You know, like, ah. Like all the time. Though. It's not the smell of freedom. It's yeah. so. It's the smell of burning metal. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let's just get this out of the way. But you sent me just one of your quick, I'm on Conan. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. And I got about 10 minutes before Conan ended. Right. So I thought, oh, I, so I raced to the TV. Right. And I saw your segment. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. And I just shot you an email back. Yeah. And I said, caught you on Conan. Yeah. And I said, you look thin. Yeah. I thought that was, an, I, but I, you know, I didn't throw an emoticon after it or something like. <laughs> Did they have a emoticons little, then? With a hug, you know, yeah, I didn't, yeah. that's, that's a lot of parentheses yeah. for for the hug. Yeah. And you wrote back, and you're like, "Was I funny? Great, oh. you said great, you caught me." Yeah. And, um, 
Oh, and, and then something like, I'm thin. Great. What's that supposed to mean? Uh-huh. So I wrote back very kind of like frantically, like, I just, uh, you were funny. And yeah. uh, but, and you, last time I saw you, you said you were trying to lose the weight. Yeah, and, yeah. and then I see you, you yeah, lost yeah, the weight. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you just let me have it. It was the longest email you'd ever sent. It was paragraphs. Really? Of just, you are, you know what, buddy? You're a diminisher. <laughs> I can't, I can't know you anymore. I can't be with people like you anymore. I think it's time you and I had a parting of the ways. A diminisher. A diminisher, yeah. Well, have, I, have you ever been called a diminisher before? <laughs> no, it was new. It was, I, I, uh, I, if I was a supervillain, though, that's what I'm going with. Yeah, I, the diminisher. The dim- <laughs> really? What do you just... think of these eggs? Eh, they're all right, I guess. <laughs> you are a diminisher. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so you, you know, this Mexican Coke, it's nice. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah, why well, it's, it's refreshing ish. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean I, I've known I, I've met other diminishers in my life and I don't know why I was so sensitive to it. I'm a diminisher in recovery though. I'll, you know, oh really? You're aware of your diminishing powers? You you alerted me to it. Did no, I? But honestly the truth is like because I'm I'm one of these people where if somebody says this is why like, you know, and I think you and I have talked about this where where if there are negative comments on like a message board or something right. and everyone's like, You were funny, you were this, you were that and there's one guy who's like, that's the only one you read and you read it again and again. Again, it's kind of like, really? What yeah. can I do to make that guy like me? Well, yeah, because we're pain junkies. I mean, there's a, I, I've decided that the, you know, there's that element of like, why doesn't he like me? And I'd like to turn him around. But obviously, they push a button, and it's a button we, I, I, I hate to admit that, that sometimes, you know, all the praise, if there is praise, is very rewarding on an ego level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could just feel it inflating you. But in terms of genuine feeling, yeah. It seems that the one we know and are familiar with is like, eh, I don't know. You could have tried a little <laughs> harder on that. And you're like, what? Because in your mind, somehow that guy spoke to your insecurities. And oh, it's, sure. a, it's a tape that you've been playing yourself. How the fuck does that guy know? So you're going to approach him like you would approach yourself. Plus, honestly, I sometimes think when people take the time to do a message thing mm-hmm. and they're negative, I think they thought about it more. Yeah, I just think because it burned that guy. You know, whatever it was, he was kind of like, "Ooh, I'm a little angry right now." Well, I can tell I'm you, I'm going to express my anger. Right, I can tell you honestly. I I guarantee you that paragraph or two I wrote to you. Oh, it's was, very sincere. Was, was probably <laughs> a very satisfying bit of business for me that I probably read over and over again and shouldn't have sent. Probably. Well, but anyway. But the thing is, though, if somebody this is this is the difference, though. This is why I say in recovery, uh, if somebody whose opinion I respect. Point something out, even if I know it's because, oh, you know, it's it's post September 11th. Well, he's crazy. All feeling tender, et cetera, et cetera. I take it more seriously than some crank on the internet because it's like this guy knows me. You know, this it's like the whole you know more truth said and just right. Right. Thing. But I, I didn't know you that well, and it, like no. there, and it, there's an, an element of truth to that stuff. But you should also say this guy's an insecure freak. But I also go. Know. I also you know. I mean, I think I've actually been been better in recent years. But yeah. I've had like kind of ebb and flow periods of being more negative and being more positive. You know, it's just yeah. it's just kind of the way I'm wired. Yeah. And I probably was going through some kind of dark patch or whatever we all were i mean well yeah it's funny though because like when because i mean I, I, we'd known each other i think for about three years before that right well i was doing yeah that was jerusalem syndrome oh, was in okay. one form or another there was a series of uh of things and then i met you and you were you were primarily known for your filthy comics <laughs> what was yeah. that series called oh i don't <laughs> I, i've done a lot of filth in my day let's talk about the filth a little bit oh good <laughs> you were celebrated <laughs> my self-esteem was doing fine let's bring it back down no, to reality but are you kidding though i mean i don't know why you would take that as a uh, as something that direction of that as being something negative in the sense that a lot of people define themselves. Oh, I was on... the Mozart of filth. No, but look, I mean, I've got fucking R. Crumb's first issue of Zap up on the wall. Mm-hmm. I mean, the filthy comics were what I read. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's an underground tradition of filth that yeah. you obviously wanted to be part of. Yeah. 
and you chose that trajectory. Well, the fil- actually, funny thing, though, is the filthy comics actually, for me, were therapy in a way. Because I was doing... Of course, that's all Crumb does. But but he wasn't doing it in reaction to sort of the, you know, the freelance equival- equivalent of a day job. Because I was working for Cracked Magazine. Right. And, you know, of course, in Cracked... Not even the mad. <laughs> not even... Cra- like, when I was a kid, it was Cracked. I'm not... My brother liked Cracked, and I was like, you're nothing. Exactly. I read Mad Magazine. Well, Cracked was what... I always thought Cracked is what you bought when they were sold out of Mad. And you just needed some kind of fix of, like, what's a parody of the latest movie? And I was oh, Mad sold out. Eh, get- I hated the guy. I'll get sick, you know? Sick, right? I hated the guy on the Cracked Magazine. You, know you know what his name was? What? Sylvester P. Smythe. Now you can hate him more. Right. As opposed to Alfred E. Newman. Yeah. Which didn't even matter to me. No. Uh, it was just Mad Magazine somehow had, you know, it had those great guys. It had uh, Jaffe and yeah. and Davis and uh, and you know, Don Martin. Like, is that his name? Don Martin, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, Crack Magazine, I couldn't even tell you who the fuck was in that. Well, the funny thing is some of them would slum occasionally. Like, Davis occasionally left the ranch and he'd go work for Crack. Well, he'd be everywhere. I mean, Davis He did, was just too fast. He did advertisements. He did yeah. all kinds of stuff. But but the stuff that you did originally, just so some people might know your work, I mean, what were were some of the titles of the comics? The pornos? Yeah. Uh, the Why por- do you call them pornos? Can't we call them underground comics? I think, well, I think they were kind of porny, though. I mean, <laughs> you know, let's call a spade a spade. I, I know. There was but a I, lot of insert tab A and slot B going on, you know? I know, so. but would you call, like, Cheech Wizard porn? No, but, you... I, but like, Skinheads in Love, which was one of the ones I did, that was definitely porn. I like that one. I mean, yeah, the village, even the village voice literary supplement gave that a good review. So I, it, but you know, but, but it was but, porn. I know, but it was porn at a different time where porn had intent, where that there was some fr- uh, First Amendment uh, uh, freedoms to be fought for. Yeah. It was before that, you know. It was before the uh, the the times where I, I have, I, I think computers come with porn on them now. <laughs> they do. Porn was special then. <laughs> Yeah, and women had hair on their pussies, and, yeah. and porno comic books were a good time to be had by kids who could sneak them into their house. Well, actually, I've I've had a few abortive starts at writing a book that was going to be kind of not so much a memoir. Memoir is such a grandiose word, but a look back on my obsession, specifically with naked ladies. You'd have to put it that way, because you know you're going back to when I was like seven years old. I mean, the first time I saw a pair of boobs in Playboy, it was kind of like. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm are, sold. We're yeah. we're good now. I know what now yeah. I know what my purpose yeah, is. Now, now my life's goal. Is I must good. have that. Yeah, yeah. But the internet. I the working title of this book was "The Internet Ruined Everything," because I think there was something special about you know procuring anything. You know, you you any if you'd see sure. a bra ad in the New York Times magazine well, I section. About that, yeah. Well, there was this guy in my in my junior high school class who I think was one of the most enterprising people I ever knew. And, you know, I, I grew up in an apartment complex. He grew, he grew up in a different apartment complex. In New York? Yeah, in Queens. Yeah. Um, and really, after this guy, I thought, I live in the most inferior development because nobody threw anything interesting away. But this guy, he would come to class. He had a brown leather attache case. Yeah. And it was his sample case. And the kids would meet him in the back of the room. He'd pop the case. And it was all fully used skin mags. Yeah. And he had, he had a take it home for the night, you know, see if you like it. If you like it, pay me tomorrow. If not, bring it back. No questions asked. Take I mean, it, it was this. Night. It was this. It was like try, try jerking off to it. See if you know if anything. Of course, moves it's you. gonna work. And you know, yeah, I assume he had pretty brisk sales. I was always too shy. It was kind of like, hey, I want what he has, but then he knows that I'm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's, yeah. And you know, for me, it was like this: I want the naked lady, but masturbation's shameful. I, I. It, Where did you get masturbation is shameful as a Jew? 
Yeah, I don't know. I think Where I came up pick... with that one on my own. That's crazy. Especially because, I, I mean, I was brought up by atheists. You know, there was really no stigma. Yeah. Where did that come from? I don't know. Oh, my God. It was, it's innate. That's you... the thing you're born with. <laughs> you have an innate shame of jerking <laughs> off? Exactly. I, I think that once I figured out how to do it, I, I saw no shame in it at all. I just knew I didn't want to be caught doing it right, right. by my mother or anybody else. And right. I, I knew I didn't want to talk about doing it until I went to Hebrew school. Then it was all we talked about. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Well, see, this was the advantage of having a working mother because yeah. I really had a window. When I got home from school, it's like I've got from three to six. Yeah. I can go insane. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah. Like, I'm just going oh. to destroy myself. You know, let's do carpal, sinal, yeah, carpal tunnel syndrome, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, I, but I, for, like, I've, I've talked about it before. Some of the first images of sex I saw was in uh, was in comic books. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that porn stuff, you know, I mean, honestly, the best freelance money I ever made was working for men ma- men's magazines. Which was, you worked for which one? I worked for everyone. I worked for Hustler. I worked for Screw. I worked for Penthouse, not Penthouse proper, but like some of the ancillary Penthouse titles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't uh, even remember what they are. Cherie. Remember oh, sure. Cherie? Yeah, I remember that. All that. I worked for like a half a dozen titles from uh, whoever published Cherie. So not unlike a, a previous guest I had, Jerry Stahl, that, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, and it, I know Jerry, so. Yeah, working within that world, you know, got you your chops and got you your, uh, you know, you paid your dues and you <laughs> learned your craft. I mean, you, you have a you have a very great eye and you got a great uh, line and you're a great character uh, comic artist. Thank you. And you wouldn't have been able to do that hadn't it been for your Oh, no, that's filth. true. No, that's absolutely true. I mean, I definitely, you know, even. It's not easy to draw a good cock. <laughs> You know, to draw quickly. And... But you always have a model. There's always, there's yeah. always... You're looking down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, hey, yeah. that vein, I don't remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You're sitting there drawing, and it's like, oh, I better draw a hot girl and so I can get this in the right format. And then Did every you... art director says, why do all your dicks have sores on them? Uh, oh, oops. Oh, oh, whoops. <laughs> I, I'm making those up. But uh, you, uh, do, do you ever draw things to turn you on? Like, do you ever draw, like, I know that, like... Not since I was a kid, but as a kid, yeah. Yeah, you did. When I was a kid, yeah. Really? That's interesting. Yes, doctor. (laughs) No, but I mean, most of us had to just, you know, build things in our brains, but you could actually manifest something on paper that you could fantasize about. The box that I am most sorry I destroyed in a fit of peak when I was a kid, one of those, because once I became aware of mortality, I always was thinking, if I die... I don't want my mom to find <laughs> right. you know, this little stash or that little stash. So this, is, this is really the core of your shame. It's your relationship with your mother. I just, I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> it could be. And the funny thing is she's a very, she's a non-judgmental person. I really, I bring it on myself. Um, but yeah, I had this draw, a box of, it was a like a Tiamo cigar box mm-hmm. from my dad. And I kept it under the radiator in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And it was full of my, you know, proto-porn drawings. I mean, and we're talking really, I started young, you know, maybe seven or eight years old. I saw cart- Playboy cartoons and I started copying the boobs. It was like, I'm just going <laughs> to copy the boobs. I have a pink crayon uh-huh. <laughs> and a red crayon. I'm going to go to town. Yeah. And I would do those drawings. And then I probably filled the box. I'm sure it was. Oh, and he threw it out? And then one day I thought, I'm going to die. <laughs> and it went down the incinerator chute. How old were you? When I, the, the fear of death, probably nine, maybe 10. So now that brings us to the, uh, <laughs> to the current situation. Now, you, you know, you sent me the galley of this because you wanted me to write the forward. And I said, of course I will. But, you know, I don't like you that much. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when I first read this, you know, I, I, it was, I, I couldn't quite wrap my brain around it. The idea of it being in an alternate reality. Right. Not, not a future. Right. 
but a reality that that didn't happen but is already behind us if right. i'm not if i'm not mistaken you are correct and the the uh the the i guess i don't want to say analogous but the it, the imagery is really it takes place in new york something horrible has happened it's unclear mm-hmm. but you know it's impossible to to not to to separate that from 911 if you were in new york right so i have to on some level believe that in your mind this is what could have happened that day uh well yeah in a sort of best case worst case scenario i mean best case being you know michelle and i my wife and i are completely un excuse me completely unscathed yeah you know by this uh, by this cataclysm you know where i mean i i began it in as absurd a fashion as possible by drawing us you know standing in this total cartoon crater you know where yeah. we're, we don't have a speck on us and everything around us is in ruins you know so yeah i want to make it clear that this is a satire it is funny i'm not yeah i don't want to say like this is a comic book about 911 if it were worse yeah it's not mouse no uh no this is about uh, bob and his wife michelle have just survived miraculously some sort of horrendous a thing that destroys all of New York City. Yeah, and I never really, I never put a specific blame to it. You know, I mean, there, there's dialogue in it. Where it doesn't, ex- you don't explain it at all. No, there's open speculation. You've got one group or another taking either credit for it or trying to figure out who's to blame. But yeah, I didn't want it to be any kind of finger pointing book, you know, where it's like, oh, I mean, I've got somebody saying, oh, I bet it was Bush. And I have, you know, somebody else saying, oh, it was the Christians and so forth. Right. But nobody it ever could have just been a guy. That's the scariest thing about the end of world scenarios now. Could I mean, just be some guy, but you use the backdrop of this of this cataclysm or this uh, apocalyptic uh, event in New York to you know to really skewer and satirize American culture. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. that's the intention of this. Yeah, is that you uh, have your own foibles, your own uh, you know aggravation in the book, and your wife is 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 her character, and she likes to shop, and but is also very sweet. Mm-hmm. And and there are those personal elements, but then you also you use this backdrop to sort of. Uh, to to skewer American culture in by by using the example of what's left, right? So what you have left are are these different examples. It's almost like a picaresque. It's almost like candy. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, where you know you're on this journey through this you know, post apocalyptic New York, and you come upon you know the uh, fairly unique bunch. Now uh, several bunches. The the interesting thing to me is like how quickly people were mutants. Yeah. That that in Bob's world the apocalypse happened. There's no radiation poisoning. It's like you know within days people have fins and gills and, yeah. and octopus hands. Yeah. But you know why you know why do the whole sort of like three years later? Exactly. Keep this thing moving. Exactly. Uh, within within two days people are cannibalizing each other, yeah. which I particularly loved. That yeah. Well, I like that line from your foreword where you said this is what freedom looks like when yeah. it's malignant or yeah. something. Right. Yeah. But it's. Well, it's just that the idea is that like there was plenty of food everywhere. They yeah. just went and looked for canned goods. But it's like, fuck it, it's over. Let's <laughs> yeah. start eating people. Exactly. Well, you also you got to imagine. I mean, everybody's been broasted. You know, there's going to be sort of an intoxicating barbecue smell everywhere. You know, uh, I t- I took the industrial stink of nine eleven and replaced it with, mm, is that ribs? Yeah. You know? And isn't Anthony Burdon in in this? As yeah, well? yeah. They're actually eating him. Yeah. Oh, okay. So there you go. Yeah. There's. I don't want to tip the whole book. Oh no. But. In in the world that, that that Bob has created in this book, there is a totalitarian force at hand that has set up a, a breeding farm and has an army of Star Wars-like soldiers. And yeah. he speaks to people, you know, through these telescreens, and it turns out to be Bill O'Reilly. Is yeah, well, him? I mean, he, you know, when he first shows up, that's certainly not spoiling anything. He just rises, literally rises above the crowd, and it's this giant-headed Bill O'Reilly who's kind of mocking this uh, old Marvel villain named oh. uh, Modoc. 
Okay. So I just made a MODOS, and I actually have an act. My acronym works for O'Reilly too, but uh, I just always liked the way Modoc looked because he was probably the most absurd-looking character, just this big bulbous head uh-huh. in a floating throne with little withered arms and legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought, yeah, I think O'Reilly would look good with it. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> he could rock that look. I think it's a very upbeat book in its own strange way. But the thing is, a lot of post-apocalypse fiction, I think, is very upbeat. Because the only way it functions is people are consigned themselves or, or they they say, I'm going to go on. I'm going to, you know, move forward. If you had a post-apocalypse story where somebody just said, fuck it, I'm done. Yeah. That's a really short story. It's always about let's persevere and kind of move forward, you know. So, But a lot know. of that is tempered with the fact that it's going to be difficult and it's truly awful. Yeah. But we can survive. Yeah. But but that's what I like is that the the sort of spirit of tolerance and the spirit of uh, of of kindness even belligerent uh, begrudging kindness right. on your on your behalf kind of comes through in the book. Well, the other thing that I, I mean, the other thing I wanted to do with it because since Michelle is the co-star of this thing, is I wanted to do something about a married couple where where marriage wasn't used purely as fodder for like. Lockhorns type jokes, you know, sure, sure. you burned the pot roast. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, none yeah. of that in this. It's not I mean, all Blondie. Uh, yeah, it's not Blondie. You know that Matt, that Michelle and I are a good team, and in a way, in a way, I don't know if I don't think this was necessarily a message, but I think the fact that we have deliberately chosen not to have kids makes us a much happier couple. You know, this was something we went into at the beginning. We're like, we don't want kids, and so we just enjoy each other. There's never any of that kind of burden of of a third party, you know. And I think it makes for a stronger unit yeah i mean there have been studies recently where they say pe- uh, married couples with no kids are less stressed than you know people with kids and tend to be happier than people with kids right and i know people with kids would say ah, i love my kids i'm not saying nobody of course you love your kids but you're definitely stressed if you're not stressed you're not a good parent i just thinking about kids stresses me out <laughs> so that brings us to where we are bob's new book from the ashes is available now a speculative memoir can they get it online they can where amazon Amazon. Always yeah. at a discount. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, that's everything's at a discount there. Yeah, but it's cheap there. I, I had no So idea. they have no excuse not to get it from Amazon. Yeah, okay. And uh, and I wrote the foreword, and there's a great caricature of me that Bob did. Frameable. It is frameable. I'm going to frame mine. I'm going to put it right up here in the office. It was great talking to you, Bob. I, I hope we're okay now. Oh, we're very good. Did, did you, Was the burden lifted? <laughs> I think it was. I, I don't think you were diminishing at all in this conversation. Good. You have made See, progress. See, I have come a long way. All right, it's good talking to you. Good talking to you, too. I get very excited about guests, and, uh, and, and we don't have very many repeat guests. No. No, no, it's my show. We don't we don't have many repeat guests, uh, but be, because of demand, uh, and this man has been very busy. Uh, he's been all around the world. He's been uh, covering a lot of events, and it, it, we're fortunate to have him. But El Chupacabra is back. Cucurico, cucurico. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. That's How's the it? way that I announce I am here, <laughs> Mark Marion. <laughs> Thank you for coming back to do the Jew podcast. My, my pleasure, Mark Marion. Now, my El Chupacabra goes, yeah. Cucurico, Cucurico. Okay. But what would be Mark Marion's noise? Uh, oh, I think I'm, I heard something. I think I heard something. No. I think I heard something. You have to repeat it once. Uh, no, let me see if really I can get work. something be- better. Okay. Like, you know, how about what the fuck? Hey, what the fuck? There you go. Cucurico. What the fuck? Cucurico. What the fuck? Cucurico. Oh, shit. It's good to see you. 
It's pretty good to see you, Mark. Yeah, I, you know, I never knew that we, we would get along so well, but I, I think it's not that I don't like your comedy. I just don't know that I'm laughing at you for the right reason. Right, right, yeah, right. Like, because I don't know what you're talking about. Right, well, that's know? fair. <laughs> it's totalmente fair. <laughs> see? See, for that, you don't know if you're laughing because it's funny. No, I don't. Or I, because I, of my accent. Exactly. Is that wrong? It's not wrong. I am <laughs> laughing at your accent. I don't have an accent. Oh, I would tend to disagree. <laughs> so, uh,. <laughs> So let's let's talk about what what you've been doing now. What 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 station are you on now? I'm that... on 103.1 El Gato. That's in Los Angeles. That's here in Los Angeles. And I was surprised when I was in my car because sometimes I listen to you. I will admit your guilty pleasure. That's but, great. Yeah, I'm number four on your speed dial. Well, I I, I just I I push seek seek and uh, on the AM and G shall find. Yeah, and I find you. Uh, and I was surprised that you were in uh, Vancouver. Yes, I was up at the Olympic Games. Yeah, and uh, I didn't, I, I didn't understand any of your coverage, but but you seemed very excited. Sometimes. I was very excited about the coverage up uh, up in Vancouver. It uh, was a great achievement. So many wonderful athletes from around the world for to celebrate uh, sports that nobody cares about. Yeah, <laughs> like. Uh, <laughs> Like curling, did you? Yes, I, of course, uh, curling. I heard you covering the curling. Yes, and it's like, and, and you just kept going, broom, 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 like, broom, because that was it was a play on sounds. Right now, I didn't see any. Uh, are you Mexican? Yes, I didn't see any Mexican curlers. Did no. I? No, did I? Mean, no, maybe? because the, we took the brooms and cleaned people's houses with them. Well, I don't know about that's that. That's not true. That's a stereotype. <laughs> Do you ski? Este, do I ski? Uh, no, este, I is it snowing? No, Hay mucho uh, nieve? Yeah, hold on a minute. Yeah, uh, crashing it up or yeah, to a snore. Yeah, you don't do that yes, anymore, do you? No, no, I still do. You do? Twice a day. Twice a day? For to wake up and yeah. for to sleep at night. <laughs> you use it to sleep? Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I wake up for 10 minutes. <laughs> I get very anxious. Yeah. I gnaw away at my jaw. Yeah. I make a phone call up to my dead mother. Yeah. And then I go to sleep. <laughs> oh, I think we got my dead mother on the phone right now. Oh, I didn't even it's know. It's line three. Hello. Ay, chupacabra, yo soy tu madre. Oh, it's my mother. She's on the phone. She says it's me on the phone. <laughs> Ay, por Dios, what are you doing with this puto judío? I oh, saying, what am I doing with this fucking you? Oh, for me? Yes. Well, why isn't she asking you about your cocaine problem? Because she was the one who got me hooked. Oh, <laughs> this is getting dark. Yes. Uh, hold on. Ma madre, ¿qué pasa? ¿Cómo, cómo estás en, en, en heaven? Uh, what did you ask? How is it in heaven? How is it in heaven? Ah, it's muy bueno. You still have that terrible stutter. It's very good. Dean Martin just touched my ass. Who? Dean Martin. Dean Martin made it up, huh? Dean Martin made He's it up. all the way to heaven. Well, at least your mother's keeping some exciting company. Yes, she's out there with Dean Martin. Who else is in heaven with your mommy? Este, a ver, este, eh, Fidel Castro está aquí. Did he die? Breaking news. Oh. <laughs> Fidel Castro está muerto. Oh, God, I wish we were going live. Oh, this is live. Oh, okay. In heaven. Oh, always live in heaven. Coco, Coco, Coco. <laughs> well, that, now that brings us to another point mm -hmm. that uh, 
that you you and your radio station sure. did some relief work in, yes. in in Haiti. Yes, I went to Haiti. Yeah. Now, yes. what, what could you have done down there? You know, there? I was trying to bring laughs back to a country that has been decimated by the earthquake. Yeah. As well as get, you know, one of my sex stores back in operation. <laughs> you have a sex store in Haiti? Yes. It was a big franchise? It was a big franchise throughout Haiti. It was called Chupacabra, get your Chupa Chupa. Yeah. And, and were they damaged in the quake? It, uh, my brothers? Yeah. A couple of them were, but we got them back on their feet. Yeah. It's very good. And the store's back in business? It, uh, the front, the storefront is back in business. Yeah. It's very good. It, uh, we, <clears throat> let's see, we spent it, uh, three months uh -huh. in Haiti. Uh-huh. That's mm -hmm. a long time. Yes, this was before the earthquake. I think I heard a clip of you uh, yeah, trying to to make a baby laugh, and and uh, yes, uh, uh, that's right. You want uh, this is a clip of me. This is on location in Haiti at uh, interviewing a, a little Haitian baby. Yeah. Oh, it's me, El Chupacabra. Que pasa, baby? Que pasa, French Haitian baby? Uh, 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 oh, that French Haitian <laughs> baby. Seems already totally disinterested. <laughs> French Asian baby, was that a fart or your indifference? Cucurico, cucurico. Now, were you able to, to bring any love down there? That's a good quip, by the way. I was able to bring some love down to the people of Haiti. Now, is it my understanding that you were actually planning a trip to Afghanistan as well? Yes. Yes. Do you to support all the Mexican troops in Afghanistan. Are, are, is there a, con, a contingent from Mexico? Yes, that? there are six six troops there. Six Mexican soldiers. Yes, and they are, are, are personally, personally controlling all of the opium trade there. Really? Yes. So isn't that a bad thing? Not for those six soldiers. <laughs> so you're going to go there to support them? I'm going to support them and also put some opium in my rectum and yeah. to bring it back for to Mexico. Yeah, well, do you think it's a good idea to say that on the podcast? If we, uh, I don't uh, think anybody's listening to this podcast, Mark. You'd be surprised, Chupacabra. I would this, be. This is the future. This is the future. The future. <laughs> the future of podcasting. <laughs> uh oh, well, we got a caller from the future. Who is it? What did he say? Oh, that was Morse call from the future. What did it say? Said, okay, okay, Mark Maron, you are right. We are listening to you in the future. <laughs> oh, so I was right. <laughs> what did he say then? Just joking. Uh, you know, I know that you have children, right? I have several children. Yeah, and do you? I do. Are you married right now? At the moment, I am married. Yeah. Do you, do you like her? I am very much in love with my wife. Uh huh. Very much. And you don't sleep around or anything. You know, I mean, you don't cheat. On I go wife. to various places and sleep with women, but I do not sleep around. Right. It, uh, but I feel as though my body requires various types of witness from different women. Right. I understand. Do you understand that? Yeah. It is uh, my body. craves it. It requires it. Yeah. So just wetness. Wetness. Yeah. So. It's not has nothing to do with them. No, no, no. I just require different. As if you are, oh, I like to use Lubriderm as my moisturizer. Yeah. But today I am going to use uh, Jergens. Yeah. Right. So it's just that easy. It's that easy. Now, 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 you seem to know a lot about lotion. I am current. Yes. Yeah. Because you cannot always be with a woman. Yeah. You, <laughs> you have to use lotion. <laughs> do you ever use spit? 
Yes, other people spit. Oh, that, okay, so that's part of the. I wetting. have a collection of spit in my apartment <laughs> in mason jars, and I scoop it out with my hand and use it. This has gotten peculiar, hasn't yes. it? I, yes, I'm sharing so much with you, Mark Maron. How is it that you are able to get so much information out I'm, of people? I'm, well, I'm a very good interviewer. You are. Yeah. Is that the phone? Yes. Hold on. Who is it on the phone? Oh, okay. Hold up. We're gonna take this. All right. This one is uh, this is a baby who's high on cocaine. Okay. Okay, the baby is high cocaine. He's saying that he was responsible for 9-11. Now, I don't did know you, if this is you, the figmentation of a baby. Did you hang up? No, no, no. He's still on the phone. They ask him for some more details. Okay, well, yeah, what do you want to know? Yes, I am, baby. What do you want to know? Okay, baby. Uh, let's see. Uh, where... Was was the planning for 9-11 it, uh, an inside job? Yeah, well, I was inside a house when I planned it. <laughs> baby, how is it possible that you're a baby born just in the last two years, but you caused 9-11, which happened in 2001? Yeah. I don't know. I just know I did it. Okay. <laughs> what did he say? I don't know. I just know I did it. That's what he said. <laughs> That's so, the, that baby should be punished, I think. Yes. Now, baby, uh, some might say that your punishment will be your early addiction to cocaine. Some might say that's your greatest strength. All I know is that you are very interesting to me right now. What did he say? He said, all I know is that you are very interesting to me right now. <laughs> now, I don't know if that is based on the fact that he has high cocaine. <laughs> or, or, or if it's the fact that he finds our interview very interesting. What's amazing to me is this is a podcast that has been, I don't know how he is listening to this. Are you doing any uh, voiceover work? Yes, I'm currently voicing all of Tom Sizemore's work. Really? Yes. That's not unlike the baby you just talked to. I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So you do you what for Sergeant or for Private Ryan? Saving Private Ryan. Uh, uh, How does that go? It goes like this. Yeah. Yeah. Vamos a France. Yeah. He said, let's go to France. Uh -huh. That's one of his lines in that movie. Sure, sure. Also, I, Tom Hanks. Yeah. Vamos. I think, but I thought, didn't Winnie have used the uh, the character's name? Not. That's the problem with Sizemore. Yeah. <laughs> he cannot separate. It doesn't translate. I also refuse to say the character's names in the movies. The Latin market does not respond to that. No? They'd no, they rather you say the celebrity's They name? would rather say, oh, Tom Hanks. Yeah. Donde esta Matt Damon? Yeah. Matt Damon, sure. See. Sí. Sure. Tom Hanks, where is my Damon? And why do you think that is that the Mexican market uh, would rather hear the celebrities and they don't care about the character necessarily? I think they are drawn to a celebrity-driven culture. Okay. As now, well as a drug-driven culture. I, well, that That is true. Now, yes. uh, do you go back to Mexico? Because I know that there's a I lot... I go back. I'm hosting a new show in Mexico. Really? Yes. What show is that? It's a reality show. It's like Big Brother, uh -huh. but it's with the whole country. Uh, and instead of voting people off per yeah. episode, someone dies in a drug-related murder. Oh, so and do you, what, you have cameras everywhere? Or how, do you, how do you... Sure. <laughs> do you, do you... you just assume that someone every day is going to get killed. So what happens is you get the news footage, mm -hmm. and then you say, oh, I guess that he's off. He's off the show. <laughs> and then you just pick some other random event in Mexico, and you shoot exactly. that. Exactly. And then you wait for another drug killing. Someone inevitably gets killed. And they're off the show. And then they're off the show. That seems sort of genius. Yes, it's a great show. Yeah. Uh, What's it called? It's called, Who Wants to Die? 
<laughs> that's pretty catchy. Yeah, and then and, and nobody raises their hands. No, uh -huh. and then but someone dies. That's right. If, are there billboards in Mexico for yes. who wants to die? Yes, there are billboards it, everywhere. Your face just going, Ooh, what? Yeah, a big smile on my face. Is there a uh, monkey? I uh, see. There's a monkey. There's a monkey with a gun, mm -hmm. and the monkey you can. Sh and actually, we are working on an interactive billboard uh -huh. where the monkey shoots an actual gun. Yeah, and just picks people off out the highway. Oh. So for real? Yes. Oh, I guess that. Did you get okay with that with the police? I'm yeah. okay with that. But okay, all right. And the police, uh, I think, has been proven to be indifferent <laughs> to these these plights, especially the entertainment industry, drug oh. industry, entertainment industry. What's the difference? Let's do a traffic report. Yeah, traffic report. Enrique in the sky. Que pasa? Estamos <laughs> in a four or five. Okay, you're at the four or five. What's happening? I bought your car. <laughs> what do you say? Lots of cars. <laughs> okay, that was uh, the 405. And the weather report. Let's go to uh, Maria Jose, who's the sexy weather lady. Did you just make her up? No, okay, she has okay. existed in my mind for years. Okay, let's go to Maria Jose. Ooh. Oh, yeah. What did she say? There's going to be a lot of snow. Have you ever slept with her? I have tried. Yeah, nothing? I have tried. Yeah? Yes. And she won't do it? She will not sleep with me. Why? We can have sex. Uh-huh. Because she is an insomniac. Oh. So... <laughs> that feels like it was a joke written by... <laughs> Mr. Red Buttons. Yeah, you like Who is someone I know. You do? You know Red Buttons? I know all the great American comedians. Shaky Green. You know, I'm trying to get in touch with Shaky Green. No. I have Shaky Green's number. You do? It's 607 Riverside. <laughs> what is that? That's his number. <laughs> Alan King gave it to me. Oh, Alan King passed away. Shaky Green's the only one that's still alive. Yes. Yeah, I'm surprised you know so many old Jewish comedians. Yes, of course. That was how I spent my time. How's that? I was, uh, when I first came to the U.S., I was a member of the Friars Club. Were you? Yes, and by that I meant I would wash their dishes. Yeah. Of course. But they were very nice to you? No. no. They were terrible old racist men. <laughs> but I think you're a little racist, if I'm not Yes. <laughs> Have you ever thought about doing anything in America, like any uh, television or anything? Yes, of course. I want to be on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You want to be on that? Yes. You think you could answer those questions? Sure. Do you have friends that you could call? Uh-huh. Like, let's say, here, I'll give you a question, okay. and then and then you have to go, and you have to answer it or else. Or Call else, a lifeline. Yeah, right, lifeline. Mm -hmm. um, where was Mark Marin born? And then the way this works is, is if is four, you get four, it's a multiple choice. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, a, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay. B, um, Los Angeles, California. Okay. C, New York, New York. Okay. Or D, Jersey City, New Jersey. Okay. So I'm going to call uh, my lifeline. Yeah. Uh, and that is uh, uh, my baby. That's cooking. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> uh, baby. ¿Qué pasa, baby? ¿Qué pasa, baby? <laughs> oh, yeah, you saw your baby. <laughs> okay, you're a baby. We know that. Okay, baby. It, uh, uh, the question is, where was Mark Myron born? A, Albuquerque, New Mexico. B, at, uh, Los Angeles, California. C, uh, uh, New York, New York. D, uh, New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey? Jersey City. Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, baby, uh, what did you think? Okay, boy, 
Entonces, eh, eh, yo, yo no creo que, que, que está una persona que, que vive en Los Ángeles, que está creciendo en Los Ángeles. Ok, doesn't think you were someone who was born in Los Ángeles. That's that. All right, okay. Okay. Este, I don't think it was este, um, eh, eh, New York, New York, because it was eh, demasiado un estereotipo que, que una persona así que, que está de New York, un puto judío de mierda. Mm. He said that he doesn't think you're from New York, New York, because that would be too stereotypical for a piece of shit Jew yeah. to be from New York, New York. Okay, yeah, okay. New Jersey City, New Jersey, Albuquerque, New Mexico. New Jersey City, los dos son lugares muy patéticos que se puede crear un persona así que está muy, muy... Uh, 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 What's he saying? Uh, he's crashing from cocaine, I think, <laughs> right now. Dame un minuto. Dame un minuto. Okay. Okay, pues, it's Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, he's saying, okay, he, said, he asked for a second, he snorted a little cocaine. Yeah. And he now says that it is Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, I uh, lived in Albuquerque, but was born in Jersey City, New ah! Jersey. Yeah. Look at that. But it was fun playing. It was fun playing. Okay, baby, how are you doing? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, I can... Those are the bubbles of a, a oh. mouth that is filled with a cocaine overdose. Oh, that is so sad. Why does a baby have to die on my show? Oh, my God. That's oh, the baby's drowning now. What was the baby doing cocaine in a bathtub? I, I, <laughs> maybe the baby wasn't born yet. Oh. Someone stuck a microphone up beside the lady. That's right. I tried to do that once. Yeah. Min was not received well. No, it wasn't. But did you get it on tape? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You want to well, go to that? Yeah. Can we go to the tape of, uh, this is hilarious because I didn't even know we had this clip. This is Chupacabra. I believe, if I if I read your bio correctly, this was during a show. You had a porn star on. Mm -hmm. You were doing the interview. A porn star who was pregnant. Yeah. And she did not, she wasn't really into this, but you figured that, you know, you talked her into it. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I think the clip That's will speak right. for I was, itself. At that point, I was known as the Howard Stern of Los Angeles. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. Okay. So let's, let's go to that clip. What do you say? Say, uh, go, go, go. <laughs> I'm a baby that is inside of a porn star. Get right up in there. Well, I, I got to be honest. It's been great seeing you. And it's I, been I, great for to and, see you too, McMahon. And I think we, we I you know, as from the last time, I think we learned a lot more about you. Yes. And uh, you're a little, uh, you have a, a richer private life. Sure. Than, than anyone would have assumed. That's the hope. Yeah. That's the point of coming out to the show. Yeah. That's, that's what we do at this show. To build a bigger brother audience. Yeah. Did you want to plug your station? I would love to plug my station. Please, when you're in your car and you're sick of listening to Ump Radio, or you're sick of listening to pop music that you claim to hate but then listen to over and over, and you don't want to hear Prairie Home Companion because that wall-eyed maniac is not a clever person but just an old fat man, or you don't want to listen to other things, change it to the Latin radio station where you can hear me. El Chupacabra. Cucurrico, cucurrico. 103.1. El Gato. Thank you. Okay, folks, that's our show. Thank you for stopping by and listening. Thank you for uh, utilizing my mind for your run or your drive or your uh, 
your train ride or or just I, I just hope that whatever just happened with you was uh, made better by listening to me. That's all. And I hope you're getting a little joy out of your life. Uh, if you want anything WTF related, go to WTFpod.com. You can get your JustCoffee.coop fix. You can follow us on Twitter. You can email me. I am reading the email still. There are more coming in, but I'm trying to keep up. I can't get back to all of you. If you want anything comedy related, news or otherwise, go to PunchlineMagazine.com and dig that. Again, thank you, El Chupacabra. And thank you, Bob Fingerman. And thank you, Washington. And thank you, people who came out to see me in Washington and Cleveland. Uh, it really is. Uh, I am very grateful and I'm very uh, happy that you're, uh, you're coming out and you're enjoying the show. So please try to wrench a little joy out of your lives for yourself. Talk to you next time.